This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Tuesday, December 14th. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air on the Feast of St. John of the Cross, priest and doctor of the church. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Good to be with you. On Tuesdays, we always remember to pray to our guardian angels, asking them for help in our everyday lives. Once again, let's continue to unite ourselves in prayer for all the victims and all the families that were devastated by historic tornadoes this weekend that ripped across six states, including the worst hit state of Kentucky. The images of the destruction are unbelievable. They look like an atomic bomb went off. Death toll stands at 88, uh, with 74 of those deaths happening in the state of Kentucky alone. Again, my heart goes out to all those families who lost family members or still don't know the whereabouts of their loved ones and are going through all of this suffering just before Christmas. In fact, there are thousands and thousands who have donated to the American Red Cross and many other charities with contributions to help with the disaster relief efforts. May the Lord give them strength and his peace to get through this very difficult time. We begin every show and every hour in prayer to our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. Let's pray in a special way for all those affected by the tornadoes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Galatians 2, 19 and 20. The Apostle St. Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christmas is for the humble. Christmas is hidden from the learned and the clever and revealed to the smallest children, as our Lord Jesus Christ says in the Gospel of Luke. Christmas is for the humble because the proud don't fit in the manger scene. We can humble ourselves by repenting, by apologizing, by going to confession and worshiping Jesus the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. This Christmas, let's clothe ourselves with humility so we can see the baby Jesus with our hearts and in our homes. We always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, if you want to be part of the conversation, part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. 
And now, once again, it's time for another Tech Tuesday. Uh, in fact, uh, many uh, Catholic Christians uh, know the real reason for the season. It's the baby of Bethlehem, Christ the Lord, uh, with Christmas just 11 days away. It's also, tis the season to go shopping. And whether you like it or not, we still have to go shopping, uh, whether it's phones, uh, tablets, consoles, or wearables, uh, technology gifts continue to top the Christmas wish list of many children and many young people. Joining us now is our tech expert and longtime Morning Air contributor, Mark Mastriani, to share some tips for parents to consider before those devices are unwrapped on Christmas Day. Mark is a passionate Catholic dad, husband with 20 plus years of technology, new product development experience for all things faith and tech. You can follow Mark on his relatively new Twitter account at God Loves Tech. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Always uh, good to be with you on another Tech Tuesday. Good morning, and may the, the Advent season be upon us. <laughs> it's over halfway done. You know, that day Sunday is just behind us, and let us uh, be joyful. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, uh, there are so many gadgets, so many uh, tech toys uh, uh, for parents to pick and, and to purchase uh, this uh, Christmas time. Um, are there just a, a few that you might want to mention before we even uh, talk about tips uh, about how to deal with it that, that come to mind? You bet. You know, what's so interesting, John, this time of year is the cost of everything has dropped. It, I know in the mainstream news, the biggest news is all about inflation and how expensive things are. I'm here to tell you tech is kind of counterinflationary, right? Uh, the stuff that cost us three to $500 just two Christmases ago is now under $100 now. What do I mean by that? Smart speakers, wearable devices, first entry-level electronics for kids and young adults the prices have fallen, right? And it makes it so attractive to make a quick and easy gift to our tweens and teens that we should definitely just pause for a moment and consider when we're giving such a gift, are there some consequences? Are, are there some learning that's uh, required of us, the gift giver <laughs> or the responsible parent? who's going to be uh, aware of what's happening to this smart device in our home? The answer is yes. And, you know, we love the virtues here on Relevant Radio, and especially we love on Tech Tuesday the, the virtue of prudence. What I'm here to tell you is there's great deals, but with great deals comes great responsibility, right? If you have a smart speaker, let's just use a smart speaker as an example, right? Smart speakers can do great things. You can listen to Tech Tuesday and Morning Air on a, on, a, on a smart speaker. You know what else is listening? Uh, Amazon. <laughs> uh, to pretty much everything. Unless you are aware of their security settings and you know how this device functions. You can uh, turn on these products before you give them as gifts to make sure you understand how they function 
right? Uh, one of the tips, we found a great article that we can share with our guests, with our audience, just some good practical things to consider when we're ready to give gifts and share gifts uh, this Christmas season, especially for tech gifts. The first one is not just turn it on and make sure it functions uh, before giving it as a gift. Great idea. A lot of the boxes these days uh, are are more easily suited <laughs> to be opened and not completely destroyed at time of gift giving. Um, but also, wouldn't it be great to turn on read the quick setup guide to understand does this device require the internet? Does this device limit the access to the internet if the parent so chooses? And what kind of devices so, are we talking about here, Mark? Yeah, mostly those smart devices like smart speakers and uh, smartphones. Smart yeah, smartphones, it's a whole different matter. <laughs> that one, uh, when we're looking to give the gift of a smartphone, there is some definite homework and some protections and some care we can put in place. Plenty of settings are available. These devices are not designed to trip us up and are not designed to fool us. Uh, most smart devices, both Android and iOS, uh, are designed for parents to have control and to limit screen time. So make sure you know how there are great videos on YouTube on how to set up screen time limits. But whether it be a smart watch, a smart speaker, or a smartphone, you can definitely get, get coached up, get ready, prepare yourself before you've even given the gift. I remember last Christmas, we gave a gift to one of our children that had internet capabilities. And as the, as the box was being opened, there was a discussion, a good, open, honest discussion about the expectation of that device and its use on a daily basis. And if certain rules and conditions were not being met, that device was going to disappear for a couple days. So it's a great time not only to set up a device and make sure it's functioning properly, but also as the device is being handed uh, to your child on Christmas morning, make sure you have that honest discussion that you're setting the rules and they're for uh, the child's safety and benefit. Some good practical safety tips. We, we have no devices in bedrooms after uh, a certain time at night, uh, no matter what. So there's screen time limits throughout the day, and then there's a no sleeping with a device <laughs> rule at the end of the day as well. These are all very practical, and they surely make a, a lot of sense. Um, 
I, I just wanted to follow up one one other point that you you mentioned uh, these uh, smart speakers uh, that uh, they could that could be uh, listened to on the other side by Amazon. How concerning is that for us as parents? Well, it's concerning because of what is Amazon's model, right? Uh, the goal of Amazon is to learn so much about us that it can sell us products that we're more likely to buy more often, right? Understand our daily behavior, our team, our family dynamics, and our communication style so that it knows how to sell to us. Uh, that's problematic, right? So you can turn off a variety of those features uh, they come default on, of course, <laughs> but when you're ready to read those instructions, which are not uh, written in Greek like they used to be, uh, be prepared to switch some things off and only have it uh, turn on when you are ready to have it turn on and just to music or just to entertaining podcasts. Uh, you can actually turn off shopping, and that's uh, highly recommended. And uh, this is something that you want to do before you wrap the present. Yeah, there's a variety of things you do before you even wrap. There's a variety of things that are happening as a mature uh, dialogue as the, the device is being unwrapped. <laughs> And then there's the ongoing discussion that keeps happening with your family members as you see behavior patterns start to develop. We also uh, establish some behavior pattern expectations. Grades could not slip. Uh, behavior and communication with us, the parents, would not uh, change. And access to our children... <laughs> was always uh, unlimited by us. You know, we, we have unlimited access to our kids, even if they're on a device for a short entertainment period of time. So the, keeping the conversation going and informing our kids how they're doing uh, relative to the ground rules that were established when the devices were, were first opened, whether it be one or two Christmases so far, or in this current round of... of Christmas season, uh, that's really important is to keep that dialogue going uh, because you know, the, best, the best solution in a situation where a behavior change is occurring is a disappearance of those technology devices for a short period of time. Mark, and we're uh, joined this morning by Mark Mastriani, our tech expert. Uh, Mark, uh, what are some red flags uh, for, for parents uh, when uh, an adjustment needs to be made uh, after these presents are opened? Yeah, if the device is getting hidden in the child's room if, uh, because they don't want to comply, to the rules that are being established around that device. Let's say it's a video game console and uh, they just, they, they're not done playing and they end up hiding it. That's a bad, that's a red flag right there. Uh, the other red flag is repeated 
uh, screen time limit exceeding uh, time limits, right? If a screen time limit on a particular device is 45 minutes and, and a child is regularly going over that, uh, I mean regularly like daily, that's a red flag too. So you can always nip it in the bud and say these were the rules established at the time of the gift and here's what we're going to do about it. We're just going to take a little pause. It's not going away forever. It's just going to take a two to three day break and we'll make sure that we can reestablish a healthy pattern. And obviously every child is different. Every family has different expectations. So this is kind of um, unique to every individual family as far as what their uh, goals are, what the family agreement is in terms of uh, devices in the bedrooms and the, the limits during the daytime. Yeah, there are certain things that are just good common behavior and like no nighttime devices over uh, – after 7.30 or 8 p.m., depending on the child's bedtime. There's some good common practices, but you're right. You do have to be ready to be flexible based on the age and the maturity of each child. So, yeah, (laughs) be ready. And uh, these parental controls, Mark, uh, they're never 100% guaranteed. Um, What what about uh, talking to the children and giving some practical safety tips? You bet. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. And anytime there is use of an internet device, there's a chance of an interaction through the internet between individuals. So there's always needs to be a discussion about strangers and uh, communication with strangers is a big fat zero. Do not communicate. Uh, But if something does happen, the trust is built inside the family so that you can let us know that there wasn't a communication that occurred through the Internet, through this device. And so we would find a way to uh, close the hole in the gap, in the the Internet uh, portal that's been created through the device. And obviously, our, our conversations are going to be a little bit different uh, with uh, little guys, uh, you know, six, seven years old, as opposed to 14 and 15-year-olds. You bet. Yeah, the six, seven, eight-year-olds, this is just interacting with technology for the first time. These are talking devices that are learning uh, rhymes and spelling and songs. Uh, they may be learning about our children. A lot of these devices are learning in order to come back to that kid at a later time and recontinue the lesson, but it's very different in the upper maturity bracket. Well, Mark, I really appreciate uh, your practical advice. They're all great tips. I want to wish you a a blessed rest of Advent and a a Merry Christmas. Thanks so much uh, for being with us. May God bless you all.
Thank you. Many blessings to you. Mark Mastriani, our tech expert for all things faith and tech. You can follow Mark on Twitter at God Loves Tech. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, you'll hear my conversation on the morality of in vitro fertilization with Dr. Joseph Meany, the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center and a PhD in bioethics. Stay with us. There's much more to come on the other side. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Twenty-nine minutes after the hour, welcome back to Morning Air on the Feast of St. John of the Cross. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now, recently it was reported that a couple from Los Angeles received in vitro fertilization treatment and it ended up giving birth to the wrong baby. The couple sued the clinic after this IVF nightmare, as Good Day LA reports. A couple is suing an L.A. fertility clinic after an embryo mix-up ended with them carrying and giving birth to a stranger's child. Daphna Cardinal gave birth to a daughter who appeared to be a different race from she and her husband. Later, DNA tests confirmed the baby actually belonged to another couple who in turn had carried and delivered the Cardinal's biological baby. Now they are suing the California Center for Reproductive Health over the trauma and pain they say they have endured. Our memories of childbirth will always be tainted by the sick reality that our biological child was given to someone else. And the baby that I fought to bring into this world was not mine to keep. Sounds like an absolutely crazy story, but how common are these DNA mix-ups? Uh, IVF has been hailed by some as a scientific miracle, but is it totally ethical to be having children in such manner? What does the Catholic Church teach about in vitro fertilization? Listen to my conversation on the Catholic morality of this IVF case with Dr. Joseph Meany, the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia and a PhD in bio- Bioethics from the Catholic University of the Sacred Heart in Rome. Good morning, Dr. Meany. Welcome back to Morning Air. Always good to be with you. Dr. Meany, first of all, what is your take on this case involving this couple that received the in vitro fertilization treatment? We just heard a little bit of audio. You heard the emotion in um, the the wife's uh, voice. Uh, They ended up uh, giving birth to the wrong baby. Uh, Can you give us your overall perspective on on, uh, what you just uh, heard? Yeah. You know, there was an article that appeared a few years ago, and I think it it kind of summarized the situation pretty well. It said... um, are, should we be surprised that an industry that makes babies would treat people this way? And I think it's absolutely true. I mean, the, the problem of, of tragedies like this are essentially the key to seeing, you know, what is wrong with making babies artificially, you know, in laboratories and allowing third parties to be involved in what should be between a husband and a wife. 
um, and in the natural procreation of, of their own children. So these kinds of tragedies, these kinds of abuses are inherent in something that the church condemns very much, which is, you know, artificial reproductive technologies, which replace rather than helping uh, couples uh, to conceive children in, in a way that is, is dignified and in a way that, you know, treats infertility as opposed to replacing their infertility with, with techniques, you know, and, and, and essentially third-party methods that, uh, that are quite harmful uh, on many, many different levels. And Dr. Minnie, I want to dive into it and really break down the, the church's teachings here in a moment. But on this particular uh, case, uh, this couple uh, ended up suing uh, the fertility clinic uh, for implanting the wrong embryo. Uh, you know, of course, a human error happens. But how common, uh, from your experience, are these uh, DNA mix-ups? So, you know, there are certain well-publicized cases. Um, the, uh, the other aspect of things that has been, you know, making many headlines um, recently is the fact that uh, some doctors, unscrupulous doctors who are part of the IVF industry, uh, were in- introducing their own sperm and therefore becoming the father uh, in some donor-conceived children. And uh, there are certain cases that came out where individuals had had fathered like that many, many children, uh, unbeknownst (laughs) to to the couples that were having these children. Um, It it seems like these abuses are, um, what's impossible to know how many, right? Because it's kind of an unknown quantity. Hundreds have come to light of of cases where, you know, the, the, the donors were, were in some way fraudulent. Um, there have been many different examples of, of individuals whose children, they thought they were having their own children implanted, but others were not. Um, one of the things that is, is really come to light is how unregulated, uh, effectively unregulated the in vitro fertilization industry is in the United States as compared to other countries. It sure sounds like it needs to be more regulated because what you just shared with us about these immoral doctors is outrageous. I mean, that's almost unthinkable. I, I can't believe that that's actually going on. Yeah, but, but you know, again, it's kind of hard to be surprised in a sense that, that unethical activity takes place when the actual process of in vitro fertilization is already highly unethical. Uh, you know, from the Catholic perspective, um, to, to treat a child as a commodity, right, that, that it can be produced uh, as opposed to, you know, procreated, <laughs> that's a huge distinction there. Um, conception of a child, you know, in a laboratory. And then, and then, of course, what automatically happens is quality control, where they look at the human embryos that have been conceived, and they generally conceive a, quite a large number, and say, okay, which ones seem to us to be the ones with the qualities we want, and the other ones we we will kill, right? We will we'll toss them away. Or putting, and this is the most common thing, right, is, is, is putting all these human embryos into cold storage in liquid nitrogen um, and, and suspended animation with no guarantee whatsoever that they will be allowed to come to life. And, and so many couples have children that are, you know, frozen in these clinics and, and they don't know what to do with them. And it becomes a big pastoral problem in the church and a big debate about this, you know, what can be done for, for these children, because 
they were conceived in this way, and and you know it's it's a real debate as to as to what can be done morally to to bring them to life. Well, Dr. Meany, this is exactly why we have you on the show to, to give us this, this moral clarity. Uh, in fact, uh, folks have heard of the term uh, IVF in vitro fertilization, but can, can you explain for those who may be a little fuzzy on what exactly it is and, and how it works, uh, what exactly is IVF uh, in vitro fertilization? Yeah, so in vitro fertilization was a technique that was developed in the 1970s um, and has become more or less an industry standard. You know, about 2% of children today in the United States are born uh, as a result of, of in vitro fertilization. And what that essentially involves is um, hyperstimulation of the ovaries of the mother to obtain a large number of eggs um, and then uh, obtaining the, the, the sperm sample uh, from, from the, the father or the donor, um, again, usually involving, you know, masturbation and immoral activity, um, and then conceiving the children in a laboratory, um, you know, uh, bringing them to life, and increasingly in a very unnatural way on top of everything else. Uh, the, the most common procedure uh, now is, is to do uh, intra cytoplasmic sperm injection so that they're literally instead of allowing the conception to happen naturally where the sperm penetrates the egg and, and, and conceives a new human embryo they will actually insert a sperm with, with a, a micro pipette so a small needle uh, to conceive a new child anyway the child is then conceived in the lab um, allowed to grow for a certain amount of time and then generally speaking frozen at which point the mother, um, and, and in some cases it isn't even the mother, right? Because then we have cases of surrogacy uh, or, or donor gametes to where the, it's not the biological mother who's going to be char- carrying the child. But in any case, uh, the person who will be carrying the child, these embryos are then transferred to the womb <clears throat> in the hopes that uh, they will implant in the womb and, and you know, carry through the pregnancy and, and come to birth. But it is a massively, massively deadly process for all these little human embryos, these little little children. Um, I mean, I've seen one estimate that said that 90% of the children that are conceived in vitro die, and only 10% might come to birth because because of the uh, you know the, the sorting quality control that goes on, because so many don't survive either the thawing process from from being um, taken out of the cold storage or they don't implant properly, uh, you know, a lot of miscarriages occur, et cetera. Uh, it is, it is really, really a terrible, terrible situation. Obviously, uh, this brings up uh, the basic moral principles that we need to, to consider from a Catholic perspective. Uh, the Catholic Church has a lot to say about this. Uh, life is a gift. It's not a right. Can you talk about a few of these uh, basic principles that we need to understand when we talk about uh, IVF? Yeah, you know, the, the, the most basic principle is, is essentially marriage, right? What is what is uh, proper to marriage, and and what is proper to the conception of a new human life? And of course, you know, there's so many circumstances where people's rights are are violated, um, in the sense that you know they're, they're conceived in a way that is not appropriate, that is not moral, because uh, there there you know there's been premarital 
activity or there's even been sexual violence, etc. The dignity of the human child remains the same, right? God, God infuses the soul in every human person, but we have to be very clear as to what is our right as a human being to be conceived in a, in a, in a good and, and holy way, which is in the loving embrace of one's parents. And when infertility comes, comes into the picture and a couple is not able to conceive in a natural way, then there's a temptation to go to some of these you know, clinics, et cetera, that say that they can, they can help these couples to have children. And in some cases they can, but you know, we cannot allow any means that is immoral, uh, even if we have a very, very good end, a very good object, which is to have a, a child of our own. Um, and essentially what the principle is there is that we can never dissociate, right, the sexual act from the procreative act. So, you know, it goes all the way back. It's interesting how St. Paul VI really uh, hit the nail on the head with Humanae Vitae, right? But he always said, that every sexual act had to be open to life, but it had to also be uh, naturally, um, you know, for the couple to be unitive. So the unitive and the procreative side of, of sexuality have to be maintained. And of course, what happens with IVF is that the, the procreative side, they, they, they do conceive a new human life, but the unitive side is totally cast aside, right? Instead of the child being conceived through the loving act of, of his or her parents, that child is conceived through a laboratory technician putting together the sperm and, and the egg in a, in, you know, a Petri dish. And, and that is not, not a way uh, that is dignified for human beings to be conceived. Fascinating conversation. We're going to take a break as we continue our discussion with Dr. Joseph Meany, the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Stay with us. We'll be back with much more after this timeout. Today's programming sponsored in part by St. Gregory Recovery Center. More information about their Catholic-centered recovery from substance abuse is available at relevantradio.com slash stgregory. Forty-seven minutes after the hour, welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. As we continue my recent conversation on the Catholic morality of in vitro fertilization with Dr. Joseph Meany, Ph.D. in bioethics and the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. We were talking about some of the moral principles uh, to consider. Um, can you uh, share with us a, a few other aspects? I know you talked about the importance of, of, of marriage uh, as the proper setting uh, for uh, the sexual act. Uh, this is where we need to be uh, from a Catholic perspective. Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's so important to reaffirm that the Church is very much in favor of science, very much in favor of health care, um, and infertility is a health problem. And therefore, you know, if, if couples uh, are unable to conceive children, there should be medical assistance to them uh, so that they can conceive children. You know, and, and there's so many different medical uh, techniques, et cetera, uh, to help 
whether it's male or, or female infertility. Um, but those treatments are absolutely moral. What is not acceptable um, is to treat a child as as something that that can be you know conceived in the laboratory, um, can be manipulated uh, by third parties. Um, you know, I think it's very important to realize that we were all at one time human embryos. We were all conceived, you know, as, as a single cell <laughs> by, our, by our fathers and our mothers. And, and we, you know, we grew up in, in, in that beautiful, beautiful embrace of our mother in our mother's womb, etc. In vitro fertilization, by its very nature, uh, goes against uh, those goods. So we're not conceived in the loving embrace of our parents. We are we are manipulated and, and pushed and prodded, etc., by lab technicians. Um, not treated with the human dignity that we should should always have received from our very first moment in existence uh, by by people who are mostly interested in making money. Um, you know, the IVF industry makes billions of dollars a year. <clears throat> producing children and they they clearly do not respect the lives of these children because they're constantly killing them uh, because they think oh well, this child might have some some problem or defect or um, you know the putting them in cold storage right <laughs> where, where they're they're being kept in liquid nitrogen or the fact that and this is very common practice you know the the uh, the implantation uh, insertion of many different embryos in the hope that one will be conceived but if more children are conceived so so the the mother there has several children growing in her, then the IVF industry generally does selective reductions, that is, abortions of some of these children. Yes. And so they're saying, you know, we want you to have the one child that you wanted uh, according to, you know, your wishes. And it goes very far, right? I mean, so in some cases, it's like, well, you know, we can, we can provide tailor-made children, you know, with donor, donor sperm donor eggs, et cetera, we can conceive children, you know, according to your, your wishes, right? If you want to have certain kind of traits to those children, hair color or whatever else, we can guarantee that. It, it's, it's really uh, a vision of the human person that is very antithetical to the Catholic view that we should be, you know, respectful of, of the dignity of every single human being rather than trying to manipulate and dominate something that should be a beautiful act of love. And children are not a commodity. There's so many questions, uh, Dr. Meany. I'm sure, uh, I know I have a lot of questions. I've, I've heard a lot of questions uh, from uh, folks uh, about the, the Catholic Church's teaching. They, they, some question, how can the Catholic Church be opposed to the creation of life? Uh, Michael is uh, joining us uh, from Jacksonville, Florida. Michael, uh, welcome to uh, Morning Air. Yes, thank you for taking my call. And I just have two questions. So, you know, Matthew Kelly, a great author, he often says people are turning away from the Catholic Church because of all the bad. And he's very great statement. All the bad can't take away from the good. And people focus on that. So my question with in vitro is if we have a couple that is loving and wants to have a child, and God provided this in vitro that they are going to use for all the good. Why does the people using it for all the bad, which is true, why are they not allowed to use that with this God-given uh, uh, process for strictly the good? 
and we talk about the Pope saying things, but yet we, just like when, and this is a little offshoot, you don't have to answer it, but when President Biden said, Pope says I'm a good Catholic, I should receive communion, and he stays silent. So we confuse the Catholics with sometimes, this is, if we do it for good, and uh, if you could answer that, uh, I'd appreciate it. And then, like, Th- thanks, Michael. Uh, let uh, let uh, uh, yeah. Doctor Meany react, uh, Doctor. Yeah. No. I mean, the the, the thing that's so important to to realize is that uh, people, you know, are suffering, and and they. You know, infertility is a, is a terrible evil, and, and we should be trying to help them in any way we can. My wife and I um, suffered nine years of infertility before, before having our first child. Um, and so that, that we know that suffering is very great, uh, but there, there has to be good means for a good end. Right. Clearly, the desire to have one's own child um, to overcome infertility is is a very, very good goal. But in order to arrive at that good goal, one also has to use a good means that is respectful of uh, the dignity of the human person and, and even of the dignity of that couple. Right. Of, of not allowing others to be involved um, in ways that are inappropriate. Now, to, to get all the, the kind of health care to overcome that infertility, to assist them is great, but, but they can never have um, their, their mutual, you know, procreative love replaced uh, by a third party, by a technician or something else. And actually, I mean, natural technology, uh, which is, you know, done by Dr. Hilgers and, and other different means of overcoming infertility that are very much approved by the church, actually have very high success rates. So it's not even a question of, um, you know, foregoing something that is that is uh, very highly successful, it is rather uh, using the right means to arrive at the right end, right? To, to treat infertility as opposed to creating children uh, in an inappropriate way. Thank you, Michael. So important uh, to know the alternatives. Uh, we have uh, time for one more caller. Uh, very quickly, we go to Mark in Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Mark, uh, welcome. What is your question for Dr. Meany? Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. I'll make this quick. I know that I have just a moment. I have at least three relatives that I know of who have brought children into the world with this technology. And it's, um, I don't, I think to, to some degree, they don't know that what they did was wrong, but if they, and, and to some degree, they, they may know that the church teaches that this is wrong. My question is, it's more pastoral question. How do I minister to them? How do I evangelize them? You know, when they have these children in the world, say, that are beautiful, that are, you know, blessed by God, how, that, I find that the most difficult thing, more than abortion, more than contraception, more than the other moral teachings, I find it's very difficult to minister. Any words of advice? Absolutely. We have about yeah, a minute, so, uh, uh, Doctor. The key thing, of course, is to affirm absolutely that these, these are beautiful children loved by God, etc. But nonetheless, uh, to realize that, that the means of their conception and, and, and bringing into life was, was not appropriate and, and, and did harm their dignity. Um, so one has to you know, make a, a very strong distinction there. Uh, to help people realize as well, because I think a lot of people don't realize what the Church teaches on this, but to give it a very clear perspective that uh, life is is precious and and we have to achieve conception uh, in ways that are very respectful. Um, And I think that that message can resonate. 
Mark, I so much appreciate uh, your question. A lot of uh, folks out there feeling exactly the same way. Uh, Dr. Meany, thank you so much for taking the time to educate us about this ethical and very important moral issue. Thank you. And that was Dr. Joseph Meany, the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Now it's time for another episode of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today is called Caroling. It's by Susan Farfanke. Nothing warms the heart quite like Christmas caroling. The holidays can be hectic, and the spirit of Christmas can easily become lost in the rush and worry of getting everything just right. Eight of us neighbors decided to take a much-needed break and spend an evening Christmas caroling with our children. Setting out with the intention of lifting the spirits of other neighbors, we spread Christmas cheer until we were tired, cranky, and felt like popsicles. One more house, we decided, piling into our cars again, we spotted the perfect target. The elderly man, sitting alone in his kitchen window, seemed like he needed us. Pulling over, we parked our cars in front of his house and argued about which songs to sing. Half the children were either whining or crying about the cold, and the Utah snow seemed to have lost its sparkle despite our good intentions. Finally settling on four songs for the man, we rang the bell and waited for him to open his door. Already thinking about getting the kids to bed and the work I had yet to do, I automatically started in with We Wish You a Merry Christmas with the others. But as the man stood in the doorway... His eyes filling with tears, my sidetracked thoughts came to a screeching halt. As we sang, I could hear the tears in many of my friends' voices, and my own voice caught, and my singing grew softer as I fought the tears myself. The elderly gentleman stood in his doorway, the ceiling fixture lighting his soft silver hair like a gentle halo. He clapped with delight as we finished the first song and glided right into the next. Warmth spilled from his home and out the door. He didn't seem to care, so happy was he with our visit. He seemed to personify the spirit of Christmas, and I felt a guilty twinge at my grouchiness. True joy began to fill my soul as I sang my heart out for this man. No one had greeted us with such enthusiasm and joy all night. No one had made us feel so welcome and so loved. Gratitude filled me like hot cocoa, and I was thankful that we were guided to this man. Finishing up with Silent Nights, we sang with great love for our neighbor, and I heard his own shaky voice join in with ours. Tears streamed down my cold cheeks, and I knew not one of us would forget this man. Our song ended, and we all stood on his porch, no one willing to break the spell of this glorious moment. The man stood grinning through his tears as we grinned right back through our own. Thanking us profusely and wishing us a Merry Christmas, he went back inside his warm home, his big grin and tears on his cheeks, the last things we saw. We slowly and regretfully left the man whose spirit and tears made all the difference in our night, all the difference in our Christmas. Although he'd sat alone at his window looking as if he needed us, we had no idea how much we needed him. And what a gift to our group of carolers that man would be. In him we found the true spirit of Christmas. From Psalm 95 too, Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Glenn, coming up uh, next hour on this Feast of St. John of the Cross, the great Carmelite reformer and doctor of the church, we're going to talk about this mystic's writings on love with Catholic evangelist Martha Fernandez Sardina as we continue our Remember You Are Love series. Plus, Father Bob Pagliari will join us from downtown Manhattan to talk about uh, his very charming children's story about the first graders' Noel. Don't change that dial. There's much more to come next hour here on Morning Air.